0: Hello. Hi. And welcome me every time. <laughs> I know I <laughs> to Got it. the Runs, the comics podcast with all the sexual chemistry of uh, a, a mechanic and one of the flying machines from Atlantis: The Lost Empire. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that is kind of the vibe. I hadn't. I uh, not really thought about it, but yeah. I mean, uh, I will say just right off the top, like. I found this comic, like, hard to read at many points where I just, like, I can't, like, not, like, in terms of the content, but in terms of, like, what am I looking at? Like, my eyes cannot, like, parse, like, the different layers I'm supposed to be seeing. And also, like, the backgrounds are insane. The backgrounds are insane. It's it's a lush work, I would say. And increasingly so as it, like, goes on. Yeah. I mean, especially at the very beginning... Where it's like the background is starfield and the foreground is like pink but incredibly like dense and like a lot of like line work well it's like there's there's kind of i think i'm looking at the same thing as you where it's like within the first kind of three or four pages where they're kind of or she's kind of doing like uh, a wally wood style like sci-fi engine room type uh, type beat where there's lots of mm-hmm. like wires and tubes and stuff but also like that's very clearly not what she's interested in drawing really so it's just kind of like it very quickly becomes more just sort of like a textured background right i mean like it's also like if you asked me to describe what the ships in this look like mm-hmm. i don't think i could tell you like they kind of look like birds And then, but like the bottom is like silky. (laughs) Yeah, they're like fish and the kind of fish that have the really like kind of flexible and fabric y fins, but then also they like flap their fins to fly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's uh, Um, that is sort of the vibe. Yeah, certainly uh, (laughs) to say the least, a lot going on in this book. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, we're discussing the works of Tilly Walden, Tilly Tilly. (laughs) To all the listeners. <laughs> I listened to uh, an episode of How Did This Get Made that came out recently where they name checked her because one of the Tilly sisters was in the movie that they were talking about and then they got Jennifer confused. Tilly. Well, they they weren't sure if it was Jennifer Tilly or Meg Tilly and they kept switching which name they were saying and then they just started saying Tilly instead of attempting a first name and then at one point June Diane Raphael great great podcast by the way was like we're completely <laughs> focused on Tilly today. <laughs> I was like, I need to pull this as a soundbite to like lead the next episode, <laughs> and then and then Jason Manzucas, who noted comic fan at the end, was like, well, because we've been talking about Tillys so much today, I'm plugging the work of Tilly Walden. So, sure, we're uh, we're in the zeitgeist, yeah. And thank you for plugging uh, how did This get made? I yeah, no should problem. Well appreciate the GTR bump. Absolutely, Jason, come on, talk about Hobtown mystery stories. We could maybe get jason <laughs> on this podcast i knew right? how to get his contact info absolutely sure, he'd so. never hear the end of it from me <laughs> absolutely but of course we are today covering on a sunbeam uh her 2017 i forgot to pull up the wikipedia it, page by one <laughs> weapon <laughs> the yeah the the like published version came out in 2018 the webcomic version i think was released kind of throughout 2017 and maybe even into 2016 yeah launched in fall 2016 i read that and then didn't really like think about the fact that it's a webcomic you know certainly it doesn't scream webcomic like structurally speaking it's pretty much just like a normal graphic novel that's published digitally i mean even in Mm -hmm. terms of like the flow of the story, like it doesn't feel like it's like a serial in the way that it might. Yeah. Yeah. I think that one of the big kind of differentiators from like On a Sunbeam and a webcomic of like the heyday, like Otz web webcomics is that, well, number one, I think she probably knew she was eventually going to publish it right from the get-go but also and i can't really find anything to like completely verify this but just from the way it's like presented on the website for the comic and stuff like that i'm pretty sure that she posted like full chapters at a time whereas like the kind of classic webcomic model was that you do one to like three pages a week so and and i mean there is also kind of i went on hoping that there might be a bit more of that kind of like early not not even early webcomic the, the days of your webcomic experience where you go on and it's like not just a webcomic, it's also like a blog and a fan forum and like, you know what I mean? Where it's like, mm-hmm. here's the page and also here's like three paragraphs of <laughs> the creator just like talking about like whatever is happening in their life at the time or like relating some tangentially related story or whatever. So I was kind and of it's like... about a video game. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Or even just to be like, I was listening to this song while I like drew this page or whatever. Um, So I was hoping to get like a little bit of a blast of that kind of webcomic nostalgia. But um, yeah, it's presented pretty much exactly like what you get in the the book. Yeah, because you were more of the like, you got into webcomics on a more serious level, I feel like. Yeah, I I I would say so. Well, because it was a free way to read comics. <laughs> sure, exactly, and the more like, you know, less like joke a day, like because yeah, I feel like a yeah. lot of web comics were sort of trying to like mimic newspaper comics. Yeah, there's like, in like a gag way. strips basically that eventually, yeah. you know, by the time you've got like a thousand strips, there's like an overarching kind of whatever that forms out of it, but. I did fall like a bit more so into the whole like rabbit hole network of kind of like webcomics creators where it's like you know you find something that you like and then they might have also another webcomic that they work on or they're like my friend also makes this webcomic and like they all you know like like any kind of indie artist community they're all constantly like supporting each other like drawing guest strips or like just promoting each other's work things like that so I did yeah I did read you know, not like a million of them, but I did read more webcomics than you, I would say. Yeah. And like to that end, I would say that like, as much as this doesn't have a webcomic vibe in terms of like, it doesn't really feel like she was producing it one page at a time. At the same time, like in some ways it sort of does in so far as like, there's a lot, as you alluded to, there's a lot kind of going on. And I think the fact that, she does ultimately have kind of a more confined format in mind means that she leaves some stuff on the table. Whereas I was like, this does feel like something that would kind of like get brought into a more serialized web comic, but would like play out much longer, or there would be much more about it because, you know, we would spend like the entire length of the complete book, like just at the school. Um, because right. you know, they're just, they're just producing pages for, you know, the fun of it as much as anything. Yeah, and I guess, like, yeah, there's a little more, there are elements of it that I guess you can sort of feel the, the sort of more serialized nature of it, like the way chapters will sort of be more devoted to individual characters. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, I guess, like, <laughs> the, I'm, I'm just imagining, like, if this were a regular webcomic, how, like, people would complain about the Elliot arc. It's like, why are we, like like so far into this like going off to focus on elliot Mm -hmm. and like their whole backstory yeah but but then like my one not my complaint but one of my kind of sticking points about the comic as finished is that i'm kind of like i don't know like you spend so much of the book being like so what's elliot's whole deal and then you get to it and it's just kind of like this happened (laughs) it's like (laughs) yeah (laughs) i I see (laughs) i feel like I I almost feel like over the course of, like, this entire podcast, we've talked about this several times. Like, the whole idea of, like, if you set up a mystery, (laughs) the conclusion of the mystery will only be either it comes out of left field, so you don't expect it. And then it's like, well, this was pointless because you just, like, decided what it was going to be. Or it's what you thought it was, and then it's just like, oh, well, that's what I thought it was. So I feel like (laughs) there is almost, like, no way to handle a mystery in a comic. And I I did kind of know that them talking was going to be, like, a moment. But I was like, mm-hmm. we can just have them not talk. <laughs> <laughs> like, we don't need to do this. But then, like, and then, like, it's not even, like, a big moment. Like Yeah. Well, that, like, I mean, it is, it, there is kind of a cool moment when, like, I mean, we see they they say something to Mia, but it's kind of, like, obstructed and you don't actually... If that was the only thing that, like, yeah. the only time they ever talked, I would be like, that's cool. But then you do also get a moment that I think is fairly cool, which is the first time that you, like, see them, like, fully speak and what they say, which is that the, like mother slash mentor figure basically says, like, you're never going to leave this planet alive, and they're just like, we'll just see about that. (laughs) Like that's a pretty good, like, first spoken line, especially when we're now at the point where like the sort of like shonen style reveal that also Elliot is like a kung fu master (laughs) has already happened, where it's like, this character that you thought was meek and quiet is actually like the badass one. So, I did like that. But then it's like, it, it then feels like there's a lot being left on the table with Elliot just as far as like, what exactly is the nature of what seems to be a 100% pure choice to be non-speaking most of the time? Why do they resume not speaking? It, like, it feels to me more almost like she ran into like a narrative hurdle where it was like, Elliot now needs to speak in order for us to like understand what's happening. So they're yeah. going to speak, but only for like two chapters. And then once they're like back with other people who can, you know, kind of stand in and <laughs> and do the speaking for them, then they're going to once again not speak. And we also don't ever get like, I mean, like, I guess I don't really need a like, and since that day, I've never said a word. But, like, we don't even get that, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, an explanation of, like, why do they not speak? Like, does this really have, like, is there really a through line here mm-hmm. other than, like, they're traumatized? And even just, like, in terms of the, the like, circumstances that lead up to it, where we have, like, all these mentions of, like, this map that they were working on with their mentor. And, you know, they're so beautiful and blah, blah, blah. But then the map, like, never, we we're never told, like... And I mean, this is part of, like, the the kind of um, end of summer of it all, that there's lots of things that come up that, like, we're never really told about, but it seems like f- a big deal is made about the map, but nobody is ever like, and this is why they needed the map, or like, and now we need the map to, like, do this, that, or like, even yeah. or even to be like, and this is why the map was so important, other than it was, like, the life's work of this character who appears on, like, two pages. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, I understand why the map was important for the people of the staircase. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, they're, you know, in, I guess the more like, but then, yeah, it's a weird thing. Another thing we talk about a lot, I feel like is sort of the, the give and take between like sort of following tropes or Mm -hmm. following like sort of like standardized plot Mm -hmm. uh, machinations is like, if you go with it, then it's like, oh, that's obvious. But then, if you depart from it, it's like, so why did we not just do this? Because like, it, it does make <laughs> sense that like, there is a very obvious thing where it's like, they're in a place that yeah. is famously like difficult to navigate. Yeah, and then so it's like maybe they <laughs> and need they're, the and math. they're with like a leading cartographer, <laughs> like <or laughs> yeah. apprentice. Yeah, I mean, it is. Uh, it's a cliche unto itself now to say that cliches become cliches for a reason, but like, it is. There is some, an element of truth to that. But cliches become cliches for a reason becomes a cliche for a reason. <laughs> it, it does. Um, yeah, I was, like, uh, I was thinking about this book a lot in terms of kind of comparison to Saga, which I think... Yes, I did think about Saga as well. And there's a Brian K. Vaughan quote on the cover of one of the versions, mm-hmm. uh, the version I have, which is... Uh, Tilly Walden is the future of comics, and *Honest Sunbeam* is her best work yet. Of course, you think that, Brian. It's a I space actually, story. I actually agree with both of those sentiments, but uh, but go on. I I'm certainly the latter. I mean, you <laughs> <do we laughs> want to discuss the right former now of Tilly Walden? No, the latter. You don't think Tilly Walden is the future of comics? Well, it's like, I mean, again, we we love to talk about sort of auteurism, but it's like, mm. is how is she the future of comics? Like, but only because just like, I mean, like certainly in the future, I think she will continue to make like great comics. (laughs) Yeah. But it's not like she's like breaking ground necessarily. But I guess like having that level of visibility for like a queer woman is something. This is something that I think about often <laughs> to now to completely throw a curveball at our listeners in terms of like when people have NBA legacy conversations, because you know, people, people will talk about like, well, if you're going to be top five, you have to have like changed the game. And this usually comes up in the context of like, you know, this is why like Stephen Curry is like a more significant figure in basketball history than LeBron is going to be like that, that kind of line of reasoning. But where I'm like, sure. I, I like, and like people will say like, you know, Oh, Michael Jordan, like also reinvented the game by making it about like these big scoring wings. And like, you know, the, the dominant player before him was like the big man and blah, blah, blah. But then I'm like, I don't, I don't know. It, It just also then seems like, well, people now like people are obsessed with like, Oh, Steph Curry and like the three point kind of like revolution. But then when you look at like the players who are kind of more desired, it's like, if you can't make threes at a Steph Curry level, Then people would still rather have like a LeBron type who is like big and fast and can defend and can play offense and like can pass and like doesn't really matter if they can shoot because you can find some guy who's like 33 and (laughs) makes like $8 million a year and shoots 38%. Like there's a million of those guys. (laughs) And so. Yeah, to to draw that like kind of bring this full circle back to what I'm talking about, it does kind of feel sometimes like when you're looking and you're like, well, who's going to be the like the future of whatever? It's like, well, it's going to be an innovator and a groundbreaker, and then part of me is just like, but like, there's also always greats who just like do the thing really well, and they don't necessarily like reinvent anything or change anything. They just like display a level of mastery that. Is like not really achievable without the right combination of kind of like talent and hard work and opportunity. And I do think that she's probably more likely to be kind of in that camp because she doesn't seem like someone who's super interested in like doing like a formal experiment with her work or like you know I, I don't I don't have the level of artistic inspiration to even suggest what might be kind of like a new avenue for comics. But yeah, and I guess I guess you could say that she, in a way, she is sort of like she. You could say she's representative of like sort of this the new frontier of comics where it's like it's not superheroes, it's not for like straight white men. Mm-hmm. It's influenced by manga, like all, sort of all the things that you would sort of say are like the. Changes or like the new avenues that comics have been taking over the last like 10 years, she does sort of exemplify that. Mm -hmm. And then this is sort of like showing that she can work in genre and doing sort of a bigger story than she has thus far. And Mm -hmm. so that shows things. I mean, like, and again, like saying she's not the future of comics, quote, is not like disparaging (laughs) her in any way. It's just like, and I. I guess I, guess I could, you could say, like, 20 years from now, we'll see more Tilly Waldens. Like, people mm-hmm. who might not necessarily fit into, like, the comics landscape that we knew of, like, 10 or 20 years ago. Yeah. I just do, like, when I think about, like, who are the, like, comics superstars of today who 10 years ago someone might have said, this this person is the future of comics. And then I'm like, well, what did they do that was, like, that like changed the game and the only person I can really think of that like r- fits nicely into that category would be like Tom King and it's like what did he what did he do to change the game <laughs> it was like ask what if every character was depressed <laughs> <laughs> what comes to mind for me in terms of like mainstream con well, like I think Vaughn certainly would fall into that camp like I well he's he's he- even though like In 2012, he was the guy who 10 years ago, people would have said he's the future of comics. Yeah, I don't I don't mean from like 2012 until now. But Mm -hmm. he is like someone who I think would make sense with that moniker, especially like he is sort of like the Edgar Wright of comics in a way. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then like the other person I thought of was like Hickman, who Mm -hmm. I don't think was really like a game changer, except in so far as like. You know you know more about maybe his work than me Mm -hmm. but like yeah I I think that with him again it's not so much that he like shook things up or did things so differently so much as it was like a willingness to take advantage of like kind of the long-form serial storytelling vehicle to to make these kind of like sagas that you hadn't really seen in big two comics for a long time kind of since the days of sort of like the the Stan Lees of the world were like on the same title for, for a long time. But even then it was like kind of elevated to a whole new like, like if Stan Lee was like the king of the one and done issue, which he wasn't necessarily. And then sort of like pi- pioneered the early like two and three parter, And then you get you guys who are like, like Bendis who are more like, oh, I'm writing for the trade. And every issue is like in service of like the, the six issue arc that's going to be collected. Hickman's, I guess innovation would be like, I'm writing for like the run and like each, I'm writing for the omnibus. Exactly. Yeah, pretty much. Or, and not even like the omnibus, like now it's gotten to the point where it's like, I'm writing for like the Jonathan Hickman Marvel saga, where when people are like, what should I read before Jonathan Hickman's X-Men? It's like, well, fantastic four, (laughs) avengers (laughs) pretty much like or it's not so much with x-men which is pretty disconnected but like by the time secret wars was coming out which was his like finale to his avengers thing it was like people were saying like oh in order to read secret wars you need to have read like fantastic four shield Ultimates, like his ultimates run ultimate thor um avengers new avengers um at uh, you know infinity all like all these different series it was basically like you need to have read every marvel comic he's like ever written so that is sort of like you know the, i guess the appeal of him is that he's taken it to the sort of next logical step of like each issue is not only a story in itself and a story within this arc but it's also a story within this like much larger scale epic that i'm writing and like will it be called back 7 years from now there's like a non-zero possibility <laughs> Yeah. And I, and I almost feel like that's like a trend in media you can plot as well. And we're getting really far afield now. Um, but that like, pe- there is more appetite for, I, I guess it's more, it's like a fandom thing where it's mm-hmm. like people want to and, feel and rewarded. like a of the whole like binge consumption model. Sure yeah that people want to feel rewarded for like diving deep on something and it's like it's it is truly like i'm putting in the hours on this franchise (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so like i want it to be paid off and you know i'm thinking of like mcu game of thrones fast and the furious yeah (laughs) sure (laughs) they went to space they finally did it (laughs) They did go to space and to a lesser extent just like the sort of rise of like the long prestige drama. Yeah, for it's sure. It's also like you're sort of setting up like long dramatic narratives which are being paid off over the course of X amount of time. Mm-hmm. But, anyways, this is, none of this has anything well, it, to do. I mean, it, it is all kind of connected because the reason, the way we initially started this up was because I was thinking about this book in comparison to Saga and. Tilly Walden, from what we've seen from her so far, at least, is also kind of like an anti-Hickman in that he spends so much time building these kind of like immaculate story structures, whereas the whole ethos of like this book seems to just be kind of like, just go with it. (laughs) Um, Yeah. As far as like kind of the approach to world building. And that was something that I was like pretty critical of at times in Saga because it was like, it, it felt very slapdash sometimes. It felt very Underconsidered or like you know it it felt lazy frankly at, at points in saga to me whereas i think she does a much better job than Vaughn did in saga of having it be like and and it is different because he's doing kind of like a whole cloth fantastical world whereas these are like humans from earth ostensibly at some point are in there they? well they talk about like jupiter like they're they're like and and earth is the answer to a question in like like I don't know if they are from earth but I mean like they're the origin of the species is ultimately earth sure, like they sure, are sure. human beings who have like Originated ancestors that earth. like link back to earth so there is some like legwork you know that that kind of gets eliminated just from from that point but it just feels much less like she is sort of like making things up as she goes along and when there's stuff where it's like you know, just like we have, it feels more like a logical extension of like, because this is like a society that is ultimately born from like the culture that we are currently in and creating. And then the other stuff does just feel more kind of like thought through, I guess, in a a way, which I don't necessarily know that it was per se, because I, I kind of alluded to this in one of the previous episodes, I think. At this point, her working style pretty much is like, i'm literally just like drawing the finished page like i don't thumbnail it i don't pencil it i like sit down with a pen and draw it in ink and then i color it and letter it and she talks about like even even like starting this book she says like i was designing the characters as i drew them on the page for the first time like i didn't i didn't have like Uh, a character study sheet for these characters i just was like now it's time to introduce this character what should they look like?" (laughs) like yeah and drawing it like that so it's this funny like i don't know that she did necessarily sit down for a long time and be like the staircase like what's the deal with that what's their culture like what's their you know blah 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 what's the school like what's you know what's the hierarchy of the school like she she knows when to rely on like the the Public Short-hand. kind of can yeah she know like she knows that we know what a boarding school is and she doesn't need to like explain a boarding school but she also just feels more kind of assured when she brings in something like the staircase where it's like yeah they've got uh, like hot water that cleans the air. <laughs> and then which is like wait what but then she's just like I, i think she's just good at having it be so that none of the characters are like wait what does that mean so she doesn't then have to give like kind of a bs garbage explanation all the characters are just like yes as we all know the staircase has hot water that cleans the air and then like and moving on and so it's sort of like we then instantly are like, oh, all right, well, I guess I don't necessarily expect these like 14 year old girls to explain the science of that to me. So yes, like, do let's move on. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the other thing, you know, if you compare it to Saga, is that like, she is smart about the scale she chooses to be working on. Because even though this is an epic, and I guess like you start to sort of introduce some of the larger political like galactic politics implications Mm -hmm. when you introduce the stuff with the staircase like it's certainly not on the same scale as saga no and it's it's not like the driving kind of like central conflict really yeah and i think that is like what she smartly chooses to avoid but Mm -hmm. i'll I'll read this little snippet from the website which you alluded to briefly because i think this is like a good inroad to talk about it so this is quoting tilly tilly I've seen a few snippets of all the big popular space movies, and they always bore me. Why are they so full of white hallways and white men? The inception of Honest Sunbeam came from my perpetual disappointment and boredom towards any story set in space. At the beginning, Sunbeam was just called Spacebook. I spent almost a year thinking about it before I actually started drawing it. I went into it with no plan. My initial goal with Sunbeam was to create a version of outer space that I would want to live in. So so of course that includes tons of queer people, no men, brackets, did you notice? Trees, old buildings, and endless constellations. I can't stress out just how much I didn't know about this story when I started it. I was literally designing the characters as I drew them in the first pages, but it was all able to come together with a lot of help and hard work. Uh, she says, I was very close to killing Grace. I can't even remember why, which I do want to talk about. Uh, and then she goes on to talk about how she drew it while she was in Japan. You talked about mm-hmm. this at the end of the last episode, that she like gets the advance from spinning and then just goes and lives in Japan for a while yeah it does um, like I I think this is where I I called her generally and I think this book specifically Phoebe Bridger's core last episode and I think it is because like everything about this book is basically like me and my dog, like the last part <laughs> where the lyrics are, I wish I was on a spaceship, just me and my dog in an impossible view. And that's like sure. all this book basically is, except yeah. it's like me, my found family and my cat and an impossible <laughs> view. <laughs> yeah. And, and you really get that sense at the start as well, because totally. like that's what I was talking about in terms of like, it like blowing my brain when I first tried to read it, which is like, the crazy, like, starfield backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Like, you can really tell that she has an interest in that, which, yeah. like, does sort of go by the wayside as, like, the story starts to sort of, like, fill in for that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yeah, I was also laughing, kind of picturing that when Mia first goes into Grace's like single room for the first time because I was like looking at it and I was like, this looks like the like lo fi uh, hip hop beats to study and relax two girls like apartment, except the view out the window is like earth. <laughs> but then I was like, but that's also like whenever I hear that like thing about how she like drew it in Japan, that's like basically also where I picture her when she is like <laughs> drawing it is like in the Lo fi hip hop beats to study and relax two girls' room. Except, like, the view out the window is like Mount Fuji. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, careful. uh, Uh, I mean, something culturally sensitive. (laughs) (laughs) Something in Tokyo. Uh, Shibuya Crossing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um i have written here uh, well i mean i guess we should probably attempt to plot summary if anyone wants to do that see, well see i think this is an easier book to summarize in some ways than something like spinning which you and bethany so rudely <laughs> dismissed uh in the last episode as we, it's so easy to summarize and i'm like is it it's just like stuff just like happens constantly in that book whereas in this book it's so much more clearly delineated into these kind of like two eras which each sure. has like a, pr- a pretty straightforward story all things sure. considered so you've got uh, and they converge eventually but you've got the time at the school which is where you have Mia who is a like spirited and rebellious teen uh, and a bit Asian, of troublemaker probably. yeah probably certainly Asian of some persuasion um- <laughs> <laughs> your coy smile disturbed me deeply yeah <laughs> Um, yes, uh, a rebellious teen who, uh, uh, does what she wants uh, a lot of the time, uh, meets a more studious and academic uh, and soft spoken new girl, Grace, also the name of her high school bully, which I am consistently fascinated by. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Um, and they quickly strike up a friendship because Mia is kind of just bored with, um, her school and her friends and the way her life has been. And um, for the first time with Grace has someone she actually likes being around and then Grace is kind of odd and distant and um, you know, doesn't really have anyone else trying to really like warm up to her. So they quickly become fast friends and then find young love together uh, and together navigate, you know, studies and um, bullies and (laughs) issues with teachers until uh the truth about grace's kind of background is revealed which is that she's the daughter of this family that's 60 seconds are up now what (laughs) your 60 seconds are up (laughs) well I i thought we'd given up on the 60 seconds anyways she's the youngest daughter of basically this like feudal family that controls the staircase this kind of like red zone of great kind of resource wealth but very isolated and considered very dangerous um, and the and reason that it, it's not, I feel like it's like because it is sort of implied to be like, you know, Arrakis or whatever, but it is really more just like we live on an ecological preserve. <laughs> Yeah, kind of. I mean, it is like there there are environmental hazards as well, which we see at various points. But well, anyways, we'll talk about that later. Anyways, the reason that Mia learns uh, about this is because the political and environmental situation on the staircase has changed and her family is calling for her to be returned home. So her sisters come to pick her up and take her home and Mia is unable to say goodbye because uh, she's locked in a closet by uh, her bully and Mrs. Grace's departure. Uh, We then kind of fast forward five years. Uh, Mia has graduated from school, uh, but not done very well academically, can't get into college. Prospects are looking shaky to say the least, um, but her teacher her favorite teacher kind of pulls some strings and gets her accepted onto her sister's crew which is a like rest space (laughs) restoration crew where they go around and perform various jobs on space buildings from uh (laughs) preservation and restoration to like basically just like remodeling it is like a funny job it is it's 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 funny to me most because in some ways like I mean, we'll talk about this more, but I do think that I read a, another interview with her where she described kind of like her attitude towards science fiction, similarly to the like little snippet you read earlier, but she also included capitalist as one of the things that, um, you know, turns her off about the genre is kind of these, these overriding themes of capitalism. And I do sure. think that there, I, I read an article that like kind of broke it down really interestingly that there is kind of like a like profit is not the point ethos that pervades like all of the protagonists in the book and then even like the whole delivery model where it was like she took the money she made from something else and went and made this so that she could like give it away um and and, like and and eventually yeah and you can still read it for free and you can also buy it if you want but it's like you know, there is there is this sort of, like, anti-capitalist, you know, pervasive sentiment that goes through it, and I do think that that's also kind of part of the fantasy of this job, is that it's like, yeah, you go to these, like, big empty buildings, and you chill with your closest friends and, like, work. Well, but also, she, they do talk about this briefly, that it's like, yeah, like, sometimes we are, like, taking beautiful old buildings and, like, turning them into mm-hmm. offices. Right. But we never but, see that. <laughs> it's true. We never, we never really see that. It, is, but I, it I, is kind of like, I mean, yeah, I do, I don't think that she ever presents this as kind of like a utopia or like no. what necessarily, maybe any of them would necessarily choose to be doing if they had a choice. And also, it is kind of like, you know for something that is ostensibly construction, it is unusually like creative and academic and like fulfilling, yeah. <laughs> I would say for something that is like pitched as manual labor initially. Sure, Anyways. So she, <laughs> she takes this job quickly becomes very close with the crew, which is, as I've alluded to a sort of motley found family. And uh after she kind of makes a misstep that gets the captain of the ship put on a like administrative leave, Um, she is caused to kind of reflect on her life, realizes, not realizes, but sort of like comes face to face with the regrets that she has about Grace and then um, convinces the remaining members of the crew that they should quit their job, go pick up their captain and mount basically a reunion mission to the staircase to give her the opportunity to um, check on Grace and at the very least say the goodbye she never got to have. So, they do that um, and then Grace joins the ship at the end. Yeah, and also the two of them leave the ship. Yes, Mia becomes the captain. She is the yes. captain now. Sure, that's a that's a Captain Phillips reference for familiar. Yes. Oh, you're telling me. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> um, I do have written here. I guess it really is like through it, but especially when you first see like the job site. Mm -hmm. uh i have written tilly walden architectural jump scare (laughs) where like when i turned the page and i was like oh (laughs) this is what this is gonna be about also uh yeah there is a lot of that i mean the school which is kind of like space hogwarts is kind of like that too but i mean even like the first page it's like Empty Starscape, yeah. panel one. Panel two, it's like Mia looking through a window. Panel three, like Cathedral, <laughs> which is like, I don't, that's, is that the job site that they're already that, like at? I thought they had to travel to the job site after that. Mm, I, no, that's them picking Mia up. I think right. from the school, right? Uh, Yeah, I guess it, I guess it would be. But so, yeah, it's like, it's kind of like page one is like, By the way, I'm still very into this. Yeah, and also, like, page two is, like, here's an eternal elevator or something. And that's, like, part of where it's, like, I can't understand what I'm looking at here. And, you know, I I ultimately was just, like, I guess I don't need to fully, like, be able to parse the visual language Mm -hmm. of this, but... You know, if there was one thing that sort of gave me trouble, it is like, I think the art, I don't know what it is exactly, because it's sort of using the same thing that we've talked about before, where it's like, there's a wash. Yeah, I do think that part of it is just sort of like, the visual language of it is just so not what you kind of expect from a sci-fi, where it's, it's like... You don't expect the, like, space academy that is in space to literally just be, like, a castle floating in space. So, e- like, even just looking at it, you're like, oh, what planet are we on? But then you look around and you're like, well, we're not on a planet. That building just is in space. <laughs> and, right. and like, that only continues as you go on. And it's kind of like, oh, there's, like, trees growing like, in outer space, and so like, oh, they just, like, went outside in space, like, in, in a tank top and shorts, and, like, things like that, which, you know, I think part of kind of the point of it is to sort of, like, break the expectations of what, like, a sci-fi comic it like shows you, or how it kind of, like, you know, engages with the science-specific kind of elements of that. But I do think that also... It makes you kind of take pause because you're like especially to kind of like sci fi heads like us, where we're very trained to sort of be like, Oh, they're in space, I see trees, they must be like under a glass dome of some kind. So it just like takes you a minute to kind of process and be like, No, they're not. Maybe more you than me. Well, maybe. But I like, no, I I know what you mean, though, where it is kind of like you just feel sort of disoriented by the art sometimes. And I do think that part of that is just because you don't you're not seeing what you kind of th- expect to see. Yeah. And like, I feel like we don't see a lot of like establishing shots we see more like perspective shots and Mm -hmm. we do see like wide shots where like like there's a shot i'm looking at now where it's like mia walking down a hallway and there's like a row of lockers but then there's also like a giant space window Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so i feel like we see a lot of like you know like we don't see like exteriors very much we mostly see things from the character's perspective or from you know like a camera that is looking at the character and so we don't really get a sense of and maybe she doesn't have like the firmest grasp on what like the geography of things necessarily is mm-hmm. but then it's like that's like very explicitly not what she's interested in and like yeah, i think yeah, like, very what much you're saying so. like she says in the same little blurb that i was reading from that like i knew nothing i know nothing about either the genre of science fiction or the actual mechanics of existing in space so i think that is really like mm-hmm. you know and I think this is true of a lot of things, but it's like space is no different than like being at sea. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that that is often like a metaphor that gets used a lot. And so I think that, you know, she doesn't really have any interest in like space or a spaceship or like how any of that works that it's just like a means to an end more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. And it is kind of like part of the whole fantastical sort of nature of it. And similar to what we saw with the end of summer, where it's like, yeah, they go into the palace, but then like every scene takes place in another room that is like huge. And there's no like kind of, again, no, there's no like sense of geography of like the castle, but it's, uh, I don't know. I feel, it feels like she's like, what do you want a blueprint? Like it's a magic castle. Like every room is huge. It goes on forever. Everything they need is there. And she like, you know, there is that like much more interest in just like showing you these kind of like jaw-dropping vistas and like the the scenery of the place than she is in being like you know they found elliot's map and here it is laid out and here's like the map of the staircase so now you know where everything is and what it looks like she's like i don't care i just want to draw like a mountain and like you know orange swirls in the sky and like yeah yeah and that's almost like played for humor I, like i'm thinking about like the game which is basically like, I don't know if you've watched Parks of, Recre- Parks of Recreation, mm-hmm. but it's basically yeah. The Cones of Cones Dunshire. Of Dimshire, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is a good comparison, yeah, where it's like there's like a D&D element to it, but they also call it a video game, but there are also like tabletop things, and also there seem to be a lot of cards involved. <laughs> yeah, and like like there's, there's the one scene where they like actually play the game. I think there are multiple games. I don't think that the game that Grace and Jules are talking about at the end is the same as the game that they're playing through most of it. But like, Oh, I think it thing, is like, really? like the one that they play. The, it's the, I think it's the same as the one that Mia and Jules and Elliot play together. No, no, no. In no. that one scene. Yeah. Where they're, they're talking so about like, Oh, we need to like rush the blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah. That's well, that's a different game as well. Cause that's like a cooperative game. I think. Oh oh yeah. I don't think it's the same game that Jules and Elliot are playing. Like while Aaron is trying to or while Mia is trying to sleep. Right, and also there's a there's a scene where they all play together. Like someone's like, "I'm stuck in the water maze," <laughs> and then <laughs> oh, it like it's like, "Oh, oh yeah, that has the sky more like planet, a, which is an automatic win." <laughs> yeah, that is that does seem to be more of like a competitive sort of like Candyland almost style game. <laughs> 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 it's in the Candyland family, certainly. Certainly, yeah, yeah. I I think that. This is a book of hers that I enjoy sort of the most of the ones that we've covered so far. And I do think that that's also because it seems sort of like, like I do, I think people were surprised that this was kind of what she decided to do after spinning. But when you read kind of like her body of work up to this point, it is in some ways more so than spinning kind of like the logical next step where it's like, I'm going to take some of these fantastical elements, I'm going to take the like the vibe, which has always been kind of like the big, you know, she she like never gets the vibe wrong, basically. Um, and so it's like, I'm going to take that, I'm going to take this kind of interest in genre that I've shown before, I'm going to take this interest in these kind of coming of age stories that I have told before, and I'm just going to sort of like level it all up in terms of scope, scale, you know, even the length of the book. You could reasonably describe this as the end of summer meets spinning in a lot of ways. Yeah. And and even like, I, I think there are, there's a lot of, um, mm, I love this part. <laughs> there's a lot of, I love this part in this too, just in terms of like, especially in the scenes, there's one chapter in particular where it's like, they take a field trip and it's just like, grace and mia hanging out all day with no text that i was like this is so um this is so i love this part core where <laughs> so i love this part. where this is it so was i'm like, liking it right now if they were like if they were huge right now this would basically just be like <laughs> this would just be like the, i love this part part two um like there's there's plenty of that in it as well it would be yeah, I yeah, yeah, love this ref- part. <laughs> Anyways, so, yeah, I do, but but I agree that, like, I do think she in some ways kind of had to make spinning to make this. And I think artistically, I I mean, I think that as an artist, we will still see her improve in part because, again, sorry to say it, she is so young. young. (laughs) She's young. Like, I do think that there's more development ahead of her and just like thinking about kind of her process both in terms of how she has kind of like cut out some of the things that she feels are sort of peripheral. And then also knowing that because she was kind of like releasing this online as she made it, she was probably working faster than she did on spinning. But and yet at the same time, I also feel like this is the best art of her career at this point. And like it is it is really like a tour de force. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, certainly like she's like sort of putting it on the line which is what Mm -hmm. makes me more accepting of the fact that like i'm okay with having a page where it's like sometimes i just like can't tell what's happening (laughs) because like you know you have shots where it's like you like see charlotte's field journal and that like has like such great renderings or like you know like there are so many great splash pages in this Mm -hmm. and like the use and, of and color, and of like aspect to aspect stuff too, where it's again like we never see the full kind of like exterior, but you get to see so many of like the facets of the place that she's putting you in. Yeah, and like like scenes where there's one scene where it's like she messes up in the architecture world, mm-hmm. where she like you know that's sort of the impetus for Char getting suspended is that she like steps in a place she wasn't supposed to step, and then that's cross-cutting between her crashing the ship in, mm-hmm. at the boarding school. right? And I mean, like, and both of those are so, like, visually sumptuous in their yeah. own ways. Well, but the, the the whole, like, the crash scene is so messed up because the whole point of it is, like, but she's in these pitch black tunnels. So it's, like, I do feel like in that particular section, like, the confusion is also part of, like, the visual storytelling yeah. of it to be, like, You can't tell what's happening. Imagine if you were flying this ship that's going, you know, however fast those ships go (laughs) in this like pitch black tunnel. (laughs) Yeah, no, that, that wasn't a complaint at all. Like, I just think that like, it's so like, like I said, she's like sort of like leaving it all out on the line. And like, I'd much rather someone go for that. And then sometimes have it be like, whoa, you're doing too much. Or even just, like, you don't quite have, like, the artistic capability to, like, render this. Like, Mm -hmm. And also, like, I feel like that's almost, like, a promising thing where it's, like, if your brain is creating scenes that your, like, hand can't, like, fully render in the way that, like, necessarily, uh, maybe not in the way that you want it to, but a way that, like, completely works for me, then I'm, like, well, you'll probably get there. (laughs) yeah. Yeah, I do think that there is a level of artistic freedom here that we rarely get to see in comics because it is again like the the whole like the profit is not the point kind of aspect of it where she's like this book is already paid for like I've got I've got money in my pocket and I'm going to make this book and like you don't think it's publishable i literally don't care <laughs> like i'm just going to put it on my website so i don't care whether like you know it, it really does feel more so like the the like purest possible distillation of her vision not that i think she was in any way like artistically compromised previously um and you know she does thank like a number of editors and publisher uh, you know type people for helping her kind of like refine it and make some tweaks before it was sort of like ultimately published but I do think that there is an element of it where it's like I'm not, you know, necessarily under contract for this. No one is like able to make me do anything that I don't want to do with regards to this. I don't have a deadline other than the ones that I have set for myself. I don't. I don't even necessarily need to like decide that this will ever end. Like I could draw this, yeah. you know, theoretically forever if I wanted. So I'm literally just gonna do like whatever I want to do with this art and with this story. And I do think that that allows her to, you know, go in, go in directions that maybe if she had been working with an editor kind of from the jump, they would have discouraged her or tried to get her to go a different way or said, like, let's tone this down or let's clear this up. But because it's like, she's basically gotten like a grant to do whatever she wants. And what she wants to do is like make this space comic. Yeah, there is a freedom in that that is quite uh, rewarding, I would say yeah and story wise as well like she talks about how like basically the first it, like after about like halfway through she like met with an editor and was like where is this story going to go like how mm-hmm. is this going to conclude and so like i think that there's like that freedom in the storytelling as well that it's like well, like i can just put anything in here and like you know like you said there's no one to like really tell her no and i feel like That usually is a negative thing. Mm -hmm. While I said that about many of the latter Vaughn things where I was like, I do feel like a stronger editorial (laughs) hand would have benefited. Yeah. But I also feel like it's like. She feels so like egoless in her work, almost like she feels so beholden to the story in a way Mm -hmm. that it's like, you know, and I guess like part of it is like she is. I mean, certainly she has like a vision and she is also like, you know, she talks about dictating certain things that she wants to have in the story. But it's also like, you know, she's not making decisions like, you know, all of her decisions feel in keeping with like what the story is calling for in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think it's interesting that like, I mean, <laughs> not to like go too deep psychologist mode on it (laughs) Mm -hmm. but like it is interesting that like she makes spinning and then she makes a comic where like the like emotional thrust of the story is that like she goes back and finds her friend and Mm it's like bye Mm -hmm. (laughs) i never got to tell you goodbye so i'm saying goodbye and like that like doesn't even necessarily make sense (laughs) like within the comic like it's insane that they like all opt to go on this mission well yeah that (laughs) let's let's put a pin in that because i do i do (laughs) this book is not perfect and i do have some some notes but um I, i yeah to to remain on the psychology kind of pin for a second i do think that there is some merit to that because like i said i think the fact that the love interest in this book both a resembles ray from spinning you know her first girlfriend sure and b has the name of her high school bully like that to me is like (laughs) that seems crazy (laughs) and then i do also think that like you know there's a bit of kind of like uh, it it feels like a bit of like a fantasy or wish fulfillment thing that even like at the moment of kind of like worst oppression by the bully, Mia like reaches out and establishes this emotional connection. And then the resolution of it is like, and then we were kind of like pretty tight for like the rest of high school. And like, we became really good friends where I'm, I kind of look back and like, you know, the resolution of that in spinning is like, and then like, you know, someone finally told the principal what was going on and she got expelled. And yeah and even like there's a throwaway line or a couple of throwaway lines about like how jules used to be a figure skater which is kind of like you know that might be almost more on the easter eggy kind of (laughs) end of the scale but i do feel like all of the like ship's crew i think that there are kind of like elements of herself that she is like expressing through them and maybe a lot of them are in mia because she is the perspective character she is the main character but I think that like I think that see she sometimes like feels the shyness that that Shar has. I think she sometimes feels the kind of like rambunctious energy that Jules has. like I think I think there are elements of her that are going into all of the characters. and I also think that again, not that it's completely utopian, but there is some sort of like kind of in an ideal world type stuff in this book. and I do think that, There's some of it where it's like when you consider the circumstances of her life as kind of told to us through spinning, it is interesting some of the decisions that she made. Absolutely. And I think like, you know, I think a lot of it is like, you know, we talked about sort of the idea of spinning like lacks this catharsis because like it doesn't have the catharsis that like because there wasn't a catharsis to depict. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas I feel like this is like it, you know, again, we're sort of reading into it a lot but I think it is like in a way depicting like the catharsis that she might have wanted mm-hmm. um, and that's an interesting point about the different like members of the crew because it's like you have Elliot who is like the like technical aspect and like mm-hmm. they like working in like the world where like everything circuits <laughs> mm-hmm. and then <laughs> you have like Char's journal which is all like depictions of like mm-hmm. these beautiful like location so it's an interesting uh it's an interesting point that you make because i do feel like it sort of like depicts different aspects of her like interest and personality in some ways Mm -hmm. what else well to revisit the the crazy character decision making (laughs) that sure happens at points but please i mean like it just is like objectively insane and it's like it is yeah but I will say at least like it is insane and it's like at least kind of consistently insane where it's like everybody is just kind of like that. And like they all. Yeah. They all are making sort of the same insane decisions. And I do feel like she at least kind of tries to speak to like there's that conversation between Shar and Alma where Shar is basically like. Like, I know that you're not doing this because you just want to like help Mia. And she's like, Well, yeah, I'm not only doing it because I want to help Mia. And like Elliot also is kind of doing it for reasons beyond just wanting to help Mia. Sure. Like there are there are a couple of sort of like ulterior motives written in as well, but they are I mean, it's never presented in terms of like, if not for that, I would have said no. It's more right. so like, well, if we're gonna like be doing this anyways, like <laughs> Yeah. And I think I think where maybe the clash happens is that it's way it's like the emotional stakes met with like the sort of like severity of the mission because i think in like a typical fantasy or sci-fi story like this is certainly not an unusual sort of story that's being told but mm-hmm. it would be like my love has been kidnapped or like mm-hmm. like you know like there, there's some grander stakes beyond mm. I just like, (laughs) I feel like it, (laughs) it's doubly, it's doubly crazy. And this is sort of what I'm getting at is that like, it's not even like she got taken away by her family and like, she's unhappy there. And like, we Mm -hmm. know this to be the case. It's just like, I just want to talk to her, which I think is like, that's what the emotional stakes are calling for because it's like, you know, it's like, you can't. And I think a really interesting thing and another part of the sort of this could be like this is like a spiritual or an emotional sequel to spinning in some ways, which is like Mm -hmm. I've grown up now. I'm not the same person that I was when I was like 14 years old, but like I, you know, I still want the chance to see what we are and, like, maybe have a chance at something here. Mm -hmm. And then it's, like, that's what the emotional stakes of the story are calling for. But then (laughs) then it's, like, so we're going to embark on, like, what is probably, like, 85% a suicide mission Mm -hmm. in order for you to, like, just talk to someone. Yeah, and, like, even, I know they, again, this is sort of spoken to, but it still seems crazy to me that it's, like, so listen, you just made, like, a completely, like, avoidable and... (laughs) like severe screw up on the job that caused my wife to like basically be fired. But now you're like, Hey, can you do me a favor? I'd like to kill all of us. (laughs) Then they're like, yeah, that's chill. Let me quit my job real quick. (laughs) It is, it is pretty wild. I do think that there is some underdevelopment of some of the characters that is disappointing to me in, in a, a way insofar as like we have already talked about some of the ways that she has kind of like via spinning kind of leveled up some of the things that she was interested in in her early stuff and sort of synthesized all of that into this book and some of it does come through I think in the characters particularly in terms of like what you're talking about where it's like well you know she is she is getting a little older she is kind of like a bit further into adulthood and she's starting to show interest in sort of like different phases of life beyond what we've seen to this point where it's like it does kind of like make some some sense to me on some level that like Sharon Alma might want to like just sort of settle down and like you know make make a home together and and even like i think that there's a sort of depth and maturity to having Mia who we see at different points be like she went from this kid who was like so kind of like impulsive and spirited and a bit more of a Jules type to a young adult who is kind of like reserved and shy and feels like, you know, she she might have somehow like kind of messed up by not being more sort of like in control when she was younger. And so now she's kind of like swung the pendulum. Like I think people do sort of change like that as they sort of go through their teens and and into adults like... I, even like with myself, I sometimes think about like I used to get in trouble in school for like talking too much, and now the thought of like having a sustained conversation, even with people who like I know well, <laughs> is like not interesting <laughs> to me very often. Um, not 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 interesting, but I'm like it. It just feels like it, it's so much work, and I'm like it didn't used to be work to to like do that. If that makes sense, like like I I guess <laughs> I kind of get. The the like transformation depicted in Mia, even though I don't think I was ever like as crazy as she was, and I don't think I'm as kind of like awkward and quiet as she becomes. Like I do, I do recognize a sort of similar like not withdrawal necessarily, but just just like a change in how you kind of approach things. And I, like I do think that Mia is by far kind of the most real and sophisticated character that we've seen her do in any of her fiction. And I do think that that part of that is because like she just did spinning where she was like she was writing real people and engaging with like, you know, not not just like depicting events, but also maybe given cause to sort of like think about like, why did people react that way? Why did I react that way? Like, why did we do this? Why did we do that? You know, and so on and so forth. And so, like, I do think that she has leveled up in many ways from, for instance, like the end of summer is kind of the easiest one to point to as kind of her most fiction-y work prior to that. But I did, I, I guess I just hoped for more, because outside of Mia and some, like, kind of more sort of story or motivation-related interests, like what I mentioned with Shar and Alma, they do mostly feel like types, pretty much every other character. I I don't know. I I'm not sure. I mean, I think that you sort of got to what they are in terms of like when you're talking about sort of like depicting different facets of herself in a way and i was sort of thinking that about like i think like certainly Shar and alma almost depict like a an idealized version of like a relationship she would want to have or like what she wants to see out of like an adult relationship but which I think is mm-hmm. interesting because she she is so interested in depicting relationships and like has done so over the course of all her other work and so it's like well what does this relationship look like and i think what that relationship is is like an adult relationship that's clearly delineated from like a first love or like any kind of like budding relationship like we never see the origin of their relationship or anything really mm-hmm. Like, we only know them as, like, having been together for years and, like, are either dating or married at the start of the book. Mm-hmm. I wasn't totally clear on that part. But anyways, uh, certainly married by the end of it. And that that's just sort of, like, she is depicting something that she would want to see in terms of, like, there are disagreements, like, but then there's also, like, a st- certain stability, and, like, a certain understanding of each other. And, like, not as much being dictated by, like, sort of more, like, teenage emotions. Which I think a lot of her previous, like, depictions of relationships have been. Mm-hmm. And also, I, I guess, partly sort of, like, institutionally influenced. At least when Shar gets suspended. But that is another thing that she, like, is interested in depicting a lot, I feel like. Where it's, like, either there's some kind of force, whether it's like a parent disapproving or like someone moving or something like that, which sort of like is an obstacle in the relationship. Whereas this is more of like a stable relationship, which is what she seems to be interested in showing in that. And then also having a more like classic (laughs) Tilly Walden-esque romance in terms of like me and grace. Mm -hmm. And then like, you know, like, like I guess Jules is a type and I guess like, Elliot is a type. <laughs> like, well, they all. So, yeah, I think I think what it is is that it maybe just shows sort of her disinterest, I guess, in some of like the genre stuff. In that, like that, when I say types, I mean in sort of like a, I guess it is kind of in that shonen way that I sort of alluded I was about to, to with say, Elliot. I think it is very manga-esque. Where it's like they all to to me they all other than Mia have. It, it's it, they the, they all can be summed up as sort of like they seem like they're like this but they're also like this um where it's like you know <laughs> It's but 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 then it kind of just sort of like boils down to those two traits where it's like in most interactions, Shar is the shy one, but like when she needs to be firm, she has you know she actually has some like strength to her, like you know she's got her convictions and her character as well, like right, and like Alma seems overbearing, but she's also very protective, but she's the protective and loving one, like Jules seems like. So, you know, rambunctious and uncontrollable, but she's also got like a heart of gold and she's so loyal and like Elliot seems like the quiet meek one, but they're also, they've also got this hidden edge and danger to them where like I, that may be not giving her enough credit and like they do have flashes of, of kind of more than that. And I think that also there's an extent to which it's a consequence of those characters. Really, Mia is the only character who's not only in half the book, if that makes sense. Um, and everything is through Mia's point of view. So you don't really get to see the opportunities for them to be more sort of like complete people in the way that I feel like Mia is a more sort of complete person. But I think, I think Alma and Shar are that, developed which like makes sense maybe because they are the sort of adults of the group Mm -hmm. Um, you know like I think the sort of stuff about Alma like her sort of wanting risk but then like she's it's sort of is conflicting with the fact that she like has this responsibility to protect jewels I think that's interesting and just I think like I think maybe it's just that their relationship I think is Mm -hmm. like pretty well defined they do have a little bit more as well in terms of like like when I think about some of the other characters and it's like, what do they want? It's like, well, they want to like be with their friends and be happy. But then like Alma, for example, does have the extra layer of like, she wants that, but she also kind of like craves danger and has like, you know, the the like sort of adrenaline junkie streak to her that is sort of a, an additional layer beyond what some of the other characters get. Yeah, and I, I maybe that's just a function of like, you know, because this is a coming-of-age story in some ways, that Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, those are the characters, like, especially Almond Shards, like, those are the characters that have kind of found themselves at least a little more than the rest of the characters and, like, are a little more Mm grown-up. And so you can sort of plot their, like, desires and, like, where they want to end up a little more cleanly. Whereas this is sort of, you know, I mean if she announced that she was making a sequel to this, I would be very excited. <laughs> it would be, I mean, like I said, this is now we are, I haven't read anything that she's done since this in part because I put her on here and I was like, I'll save it for the pod. Um, <laughs> but, but Tilly Tilly. I, I had read everything else and this is my favorite work of hers. So like, I don't mean to be like hypercritical of it or anything, no, no, no. but it is just, I think, especially like having gone back through everything and being sort of like, man, like she really, she really like gets to kind of like the heart of a lot of different people in spinning and then to then go on and be like, but it doesn't quite like, I don't know. Like I said, maybe I just was expecting more of a, of a level up quote unquote, but, um, but it does feel like there was, there were things left on the table and maybe with a longer, you know, sort of more traditional web comic model, we might've gotten to see the or had the opportunity to see a bit more of the characters in a way that would have, like, let us into them a bit more. Well, I was going to say even, like, a manga model is what I was thinking of because, mm, like, yeah. you know, you think of, like, I mean, my sort of go-to almost is always Naruto because that's the one where I mm-hmm. did really, like, read the whole thing and, like, chart the whole thing. And so it's, like, you know, that's the same thing where it's, like, you have these three core characters – who sort of embody these three core sort of personalities Mm -hmm. where it's like, you know, the brash, loudmouth who, like, wants to be recognized, like, the cool guy with the tragic past, like, Mm -hmm. the person who, like, just, like, has a heart and, like, wants everyone to get along. And, like, and and you see the way that they develop over the course of, like, years and years and, like, hundreds of chapters, whereas Mm -hmm. this, I feel like, is, like, you know, this is the first... 10 volumes or like five volumes or not however, even, however yeah the, however the pages match up this is like the first five volumes of a manga or the first arc of a manga yeah and it's like well now like we've completed this arc and we have like our core cast set which is mm-hmm. uh mia Jules, elliot and grace and it's like from there you can continue to develop this story and it's like like we mm-hmm. we're, we are seeing the beginning of their story in terms of like you know, they're probably going to be a crew together for the next, like, 10 years or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, we don't get to see the development because it's not a conclusion, whereas with Char and Alma, this is sort of their conclusion, more or less. Like, they're sort of, like, entering a new life they're, like, settled down, and they're the home base now, and yeah. Yeah, with a little more stability. And so, like, in that, maybe they feel more developed because, like, we are seeing a conclusion, whereas with this, it's like the conclusion is really more of like a beginning of a new thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah, Makes sense. What else? Good, good question. Yeah. I, I feel like we've hit a lot of kind of the main stuff as far as, well, do you want to sort of talk about like what the, the, like the mission, that sort of like conclusive part, because it does, it is, you know, now that I think more about it and about the web comic of it all, it does sort of make that shift. Uh, to yeah. being like it's like the first like x amount is just sort of like about this and we're going along and then suddenly like okay we have to like have yeah, a plot it's now. like time <laughs> to wrap it up yeah yeah i mean i do think that it is kind of the weaker part of the book for that reason it's in in my mind like in some ways it's nice to have a plot sort of like kind of crystallized in that way but at the same time, like I often, I find the pacing, especially once they get to the staircase, quite disjointed. Where they like she splits up the whole group, sometimes even into like individual. Like each of the five people is completely by themselves, doing their own thing, and then yeah, she'll everyone like gets between a story. multiples of them on one page, and do that for several pages. Where I'm like, it's just like hard to to even like follow what exactly is happening or like, like I forgot several times, whether it was Shar or Alma who was still in jail and who was like going to get the ship because it was like for like several consecutive pages, it was just like one panel of them and like close up on their face, like looking distressed. <laughs> um, yeah, I do. I do find that section a little bit less engaging a little bit less cohesive uh a little bit more disjointed than what comes before even though like we do get a lot of kind of like resolution of emotional arcs or like answers to questions in that section which i think are like good good pieces yeah i i really like this part actually um <laughs> i you say you love this part shut up shut up shut up um <laughs> Yeah, it's just like I I agree with you. It it is maybe too much. Like it might be one thing too many because it's like Al- Alma the one that's talking to what's her face, right? Yes, like the to leader Mrs. Hill of the or yeah Hill. The Hill clan. And so to like, give that, and then like you kind of have the two similar ones of like these people are in like medical danger, <laughs> mm-hmm. like the Elliot and the Jules storylines. And it's like I I just. What I would also be interested in is just like a more fleshed out version of Elliot's story because there's mm-hmm. like so much to it. Clearly, well, that's yeah. I think that's what my complaint basically about it would boil down to is like it's too short. Where yeah, because the stair- the, the staircase has such like an interesting mythology. I think that is so like fleshed out, mm-hmm. but is also like we see so little of it. Where it's like no one told us that they're, like, ancient fox spirits, which are, like, (laughs) guardians of the forest and also, like, the soul of the planet. And also, like, did Elliot killing that one fox, like, is that what caused the planet to get so messed up? Yeah, like, I I think that, you know, the stuff that we brought up about Elliot's, like, kind of backstory and history being one of the weaker parts of it for us, I think that, again, like, similarly... Jules is like connection with the like fox spirit is a thing where I'm like, you know, nothing against Jules to, to say that like she shouldn't have that connection. But we haven't <laughs> but really seen kind of enough like, of the character. Yeah, where where I am sort of like like you know the the hills talk about it like she's basically just had like a transcendent like holy person yeah. experience and, and she's like almost like a messianic figure sort of now. Certainly, not, she has like done something like, that no one else has done. Yeah. Uh, Uh, But then I'm like, but like, what did she, she, she like followed that one thought and is it like the Fox just like sees her heart and knows or like, what, what is it exactly about her that has like caused this where I'm like, this is something that I feel like just like more page space (laughs) lets you, lets you kind of solve that. Yeah. That is like the big thing where it's like, and like, yeah, we, we don't really know what is so special about Jules that it's like, the fox is like, you're different. It's like, is she like, she seems like pretty aggro. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I guess like, I ostensibly, I guess the idea is like the last time a human saw an ancient spirit was Elliot and they killed them. Mm -hmm. And so like, that is sort of like their existing relationship. So I guess that. But then it's like, isn't it more dramatically interesting if Elliot is the one to have this encounter? Like yes, I, I feel it like is. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Elliot's story just like kind of just like feels very unresolved. And I guess that's why I'm like, I want a sequel or like a more developed version of it, because it's just like they mm-hmm. did a crazy thing and like they never really have to reckon with that and they say like they don't regret it. Yeah. Like I would have gladly read like this this book is like 500 and something like mid 500s pages where i'm like i would have pretty happily read like 400 pages of the school and then 400 pages of the like ship yeah. plot line yeah you know, that's, so i, that's I mean i thing, always say like yeah it's a good it's a good complaint if it's like i wish there was more of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i think um I, but but even yeah. like making space for like seeing even like a few pages of like, what does Grace's life on the staircase actually look like? And like, what is the conversation that she has with Jane that leads her to decide to go on the ship and like, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Cause it does seem like she's, it's not like she's unhappy per se, but she has always kind of like had that drive to leave or whatever. And like, I don't know, it is, it is something where I'm just like, I wish we had seen a little bit more what exactly it was that she was leaving behind by saying yes to going away on the ship i would be interested to see you know the conversation with jane and learn a little bit more about like why why wasn't she able to immediately say yes and why did she ultimately decide to say yes like things along those lines yeah and we you know begin a little bit of that like they sort of talk about in the flashback when grace is being sent to the school they're like well like mm-hmm. we would come back but grace wouldn't And i think the implication there is just that like Grace is more of, like, a free spirit. She's more curious about, like, the galaxy, I guess, not the world. Mm-hmm. I do think that the sort of, like, pervasive theme of it is, like, or, or at least kind of the, the whole found family aspect of it is, like, the, like, ragtag collection of, like, misfits and people yeah. who don't really, like, have a place where they, where they came from find a place together. And, uh, like, Grace certainly fits into that mold as well. Yeah. Oh, I. This is really like Cowboy Bebop. I'll bet that's like was a big inspiration. Um, I'll take your word for it. Great well, theme that, song like, I've heard. <laughs> oh, we should listen to that after this. Um, <laughs> Isn't that the one that like people are yeah, always like, "Oh, the Cowboy Bebop theme song is so freaking good" because it's so freaking good. Um, but yeah, like the sort of idea of like a band of misfits. And, you know, there are other stories like this where it's, like, the space crew or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, like, the sort of, like, band of misfits, it's sci-fi, but, like, you know, like she was sort of talking about, it's not, like, white hallways or, like, that sort of, like, pristine sci-fi. It's, like, a lot more lived Mm -hmm. in. And then, obviously, like, you know, certainly I think her influences are drawn more from anime and manga than they are for movies and so i think that's probably an element too and so like i think that is sort of the space story that she is drawing from and maybe even like saga as well like you can definitely like you said you can see some saga in this um rather than like a classic like quote-unquote sci-fi story and we talked in Mm -hmm. saga about how like you know, it's a sci-fi story, but it's really just, like, a fantasy story. And I think this yeah. is really, like, it's just a fantasy story, ultimately. Yeah, I mean, this like, is, there this are is like very Fox much a science fantasy, I would say, yeah. yeah. Anyways, I cried a lot at the end. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I do think that, like, maybe it's just, like, a matter of the narrative device of, like, all the cross-cutting that I find to be effective. And I mean, like, I do find it very like emotionally fulfilling, though that like it's not a I'm rescuing someone who just like unequivocally loves me, and so and that's like the impetus of the mission, like the fact mm-hmm. that there is more like emotional development there, and that like like I said, I think this is her sort of moving, you know, like I think it's pretty obvious that it's like you're depicting a relationship that a teenage that, like a young teenager is having, and then you're depicting a relationship that a young adult is having. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that, like, she was interested in depicting those two relationships because how old is she when this comes out? Like, 21? Uh, Yeah. A a little older? Oh, no. Yeah, no, 21. She's born in 1996, and so, like, she starts it when she's 20, and then, you know, 21, 22, like, in that kind of range. So it's like, you know, you're going from someone who was high school age or thereabouts, and then Mm -hmm. you're sort of depicting, like, and i like you said i think the fact that they look very that grace looks very similar to ray is not a coincidence and that this is sort of like what if i got a second chance at a relationship like what would mm-hmm. i say to this person like how mm-hmm. would i like what would that conversation look like and i think that is like very emotionally potent both in terms of like i think it's cool <laughs> to like demonstrate emotional maturity in a relationship mm-hmm. like i think it's cool to have a relationship that is, like, a little more complex and a little less, like, a true love or, like, a pure love or a perfect love or whatever. Like, I think it is mm-hmm. more interesting to show, like, different... Like, a certain amount of ambivalence, like, different stakeholders sort of pulling you in different directions because I think that is more illustrative of a real relationship. Mm-hmm. And then also, like, I just think it's cool, like, for her <laughs> that it's, like... It is, I'm seeing the catharsis that I wasn't seeing in Spinning, I guess. Is right. Like, like, the whole comic is sort of, like, the epilogue to Spinning in a weird way. <laughs> but, like, if you were making a movie of Spinning, then the end would be like, and then I made my masterpiece on a sunbeam, and it was, like, all about us. It does, it does seem crazy to me. Who knows? Maybe this will change as time goes on. But it does seem nutso to me that, like... It seems like the thing that is going to be her legacy at this point is spinning. Yeah. When I'm like, yeah, but then she made Honest Sunbeam. <laughs> I I had the exact same thought where I'm like, and I understand it. Because again, like she is an auturist artist. So it's like it makes sense that her most like personal, like interior mm-hmm. work. It's I mean like, ooh, maybe the comparison here is like Damien Chazelle where he makes La La Land (laughs) and then he makes First Man because that's also like a space thing. But it's like, oh, like you are like crystallizing like this. This is like so cool because it's so you. But then Mm -hmm. it's also like so messy because it's so you. But then it's like singular. And so that makes it more like worthy of note. But then this is. Yeah, I feel like we tend to like instead of like the the like messy sort of like big first swing we tend to like like the follow, you know. It's like a debut album yeah. versus sophomore album. Yeah, not that Spinning I was thinking was even in terms of like, it seems to be harder in comics to reach the status that I think a lot of the kind of like big auteur directors get to, where it's not like. And then, of course, they have their one like defining work. It's it's yeah. more so like, can you believe that like the guy who did Pulp Fiction also did Inglorious Bastards and also did Reservoir Dogs and like you know it's like he did those were all like the same guy and I mean I guess Tarantino maybe a bit more so is like I mean Pulp Fiction is really like the big one yeah but even that but then it's like but then there's also Kill Bill which has this like huge you know kind of like cultural <laughs> legacy in its way well it's like anyways wouldn't you say that that's Vaughn though. Where it's like he did Why the Last Man and he did Runaways. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at where it's like it's possible to reach that kind of like upper echelon. But I feel like I can think of fewer comics creators who kind of like got there than I can directors. And it's almost more so like TV where it's sort of like, you know barring bar like there you you have like the michael sure types where it's like yeah i can rattle off like three or four really successful shows that that guy is kind of like either worked on or is responsible for at some level but you're going to get a lot more people where it's like they had their one hit series and then everything else in their career is like from the creator of that one hit series like regardless of how good it is it's just the kind of thing where it's like it's never going to be like as popular or achieve the same level of recognition as the thing that like made their name. But I think that's true of a lot of dire- I think there's just more maybe directors than there are like comics auteurs. Maybe. Because it's like, you do, you do have people where it's like, especially indie filmmakers where it's like, they had this debut feature or like this one feature that like really like broke into the mainstream consciousness and like everyone like loved it and it like got nominated for best picture or something mm-hmm. and then like everything else they make is like like they're still making stuff they're still making good stuff but it's just like mm-hmm. it's never going to like i mean you think of like everything everywhere all at once where it's like people were aware of swiss army man and all that other stuff before that mm-hmm. but it's like this is the one and maybe they'll go on to like make the a Marvel hit. movie or whatever. But- well, I was going to say it's funny cuz like the Marvel system I think is going to almost like reinforce and make it harder to not be like the director who had like the one thing because now it seems like you get your one thing and then it's like great, now make a Marvel movie. <laughs> and yeah. then and then like you do and then that sort of like it it that weirdly kind of like almost kills the momentum because oh, then they make a Marvel movie that like is a Marvel movie. And people were like, huh? Or, or will be like, Oh, this isn't as good as like the one thing. And then they go on to make their next thing. That's not a Marvel movie, but people are already kind of like, I don't know. Can they ever read like recapture the magic? Like well, they think made of that like, one good thing, but then they made that Marvel movie. Well, you think of like Dustin Daniel Cretton. That's almost mm-hmm. like, I mean, like he had other movies, but like, it's like, that's, sort of his path or what could have been his path where it's like he makes short term 12 and that like is a bit of a crossover hit like gets a lot of attention and then like made a couple of other movies that didn't really hit and but mm-hmm. then it's like instead of continuing to make more movies that like may or may not have hit it's like now he's directing Avengers the Kang dynasty <laughs> shout out mm-hmm. to Kang um, <laughs> and Cheers. so it's like it, it does sort of like mess with the arc as well and it's like I mean, that, I think that is why a lot of people were, are sad about Marvel movies and, like, the way that, like, they sort of impact the film industry because it is, like, what if Tilly Walden had made Spinning and then instead of On a Sunbeam, it's, like, and then she had her run on Captain Marvel. Like, that yeah. probably would have been good, but it's, like, I would much rather that she had made On a Sunbeam. Yeah, and, and it is also, like, a, a very common story in comics because a lot of times... I would say probably even more so than with directors it's like the goal is or or you know this has cha- we've talked about how this has changed more recently but for a long time it was like the goal is to like be like a marvel guy or to be a dc guy and like to get to write one of the like flagship superhero titles because that's the thing that those people are are fans of whereas i feel like people don't like come into the movie industry being like, and maybe if I'm lucky one day I'll get to make, like I'll get to be the director of fantastic four. (laughs) It's like, it's that's, that's more so sort of like one of the stepping stones in a director's career where it's like indie hit MCU movie, And then now I get like the budget to do things that are maybe a bit more so kind of like creatively uh, in line with what I want to do, et cetera, et cetera. And like comics has kind of moved that way as image has kind of boomed and creator owned has become so much more viable kind of financially for for creators. But there just was a really long time where it was like the goal is to be the writer of Spider-Man or the writer of Batman. Sorry, I was completely thrown off by the fact that there's an American-born Chinese series that's coming oh, to Disney yes, Plus. Oh yes, there sure is. Yeah, I'm very stoked. No spoilers <laughs> for any possible future miniseries <laughs> with Michelle Yeoh and Ki Hue Kwan. We reunited. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh wait, is it? Is it? <laughs> he's in it. I mean, he is like <laughs> okay, eighth on the eighth build, but Michelle Yeoh is like. Does it say who he's playing? I'm Michelle Yeoh is like the mom of uh, of the kid. She is Guan Yin of yes. Lin Wang yeah jin wang please jin wang excuse me he's playing freddie wong oh he is mm-hmm. so freddie Wong is the uh adapted version of a character who in the original graphic novel is named chin key i'm pronouncing that Ooh. with great care oh yeah And he is I I actually think like Chinky is one of the best parts of American born (laughs) Chinese because he is there basically deliberately to be like a commentary on like depictions of Asians in all media. But like he he really is like trading on like the the depictions of Chinese people in comics. Mm -hmm. Um, And it seems like what they're doing with this with this series is putting him in more of kind of like um like a long duck uh what's that character's name long duck dong yeah type role or even like like a raj type i could even almost compare him to where it's like yeah where it's like here's this asian character and we're gonna like trade a bit more so on like the hollywood and tv stereotypes of asian characters right in a way that is like going to be a bit more both a recognizable and b palatable, because I don't think you can have a character come on TV and be like, It's me, Chin <laughs> and not have people be like, Excuse you. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and then it's like, Yeah, I guess that makes sense because it's like we cast the guy who played Short Round and the Asian yeah, kid in the totally. Goonies. So, but that does make me wonder because. I, I wonder if he's going so in the comic chinky is, um, the cousin of a character, um, who like comes over for like a visit and then goes to school with him. And all the other kids are like, what's up with this weird Chinese kid. I don't want to, I don't want to spoil anything what? too much about it because we'll I hope that on. we will we'll one day on. be talking about it. But the, the point is like, He's too old to be playing Chin Kee Qi or like the role that Chin Kee Qi sure. is put into in the comic. So now I'm sort of like, well, maybe he's like Michelle Yeoh's cousin instead or something like that. But sure. Anyways, yeah, but yeah. Can't, can't wait. Hope to one day talk about American-born Chinese on the yeah. podcast uh, sure. for real. Sure. And but to go back to your original point, I think what's really interesting is that it almost feels like there's a shift now because the people who are making comics, may and maybe it's, you know, a certain subset, but it's like, it feels like the people who are making comics now aren't as interest, or certainly are less interested in, like, I want to work for DC or Marvel than they would have been, like, 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then, from what I've heard, like, I have friends who went to film school or are in film school, and they're like, yeah, like, 80% of the people in my class are like, my favorite movies are Marvel movies. I want to make a Marvel movie. And so I feel like that's so interesting Hmm. because yeah, exactly. That's surprising, right? Like a little bit. Yeah. Like the people who are in film school are like, I'm serious about film. So like, I appreciate, you know, like I, my sensibilities are a little bit more like esoteric, but I guess that there's this weird flip happening where it's like, people are interested in movies because they love Marvel movies. And Now it's like people aren't necessarily into comics because they love Marvel comics. Yeah, that is interesting because I would say that in the same way that, you know, like I just described, it seems like for directors, like directing a Marvel movie is kind of like one of the stepping stones you take on the way to like sort of establishing yourself as an auteur. But like writing a, a flagship like superhero comic is also sort of a stepping stone where it's like something that they want people, you know, want to do, but it's not like the end goal really anymore. It's like, it would be awesome if at some point in my career, I could write like 35 to 50 issues of Spider-Man, that would be a dream come true. And then I would be done and I would, you know, go on to my creator owned stuff, which is what I like, you know, kind of actually want to do like for my career, like for my life, I want to do things that I own and I have like the creative voice in. Yeah. And I mean, it's also really interesting because I feel like we have yet to see, I, I guess you could say Taika Waititi is the closest maybe, but like we have yet to see the person who like makes the Marvel movie and then like gets to make the other stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, like we, I mean like the Russo brothers, kind <laughs> of. I guess. I guess the main. Of. I guess the main I mean, thing if you is compare that compare like, their trajectory before doing MCU yes. stuff to now, like they definitely have a lot more like cachet yeah, than they I guess, did before. I guess the main thing is that the movies are bad. <laughs> It's like, <laughs> well yeah like, but <laughs> if the gray man was good which i so wish it had been um uh. but yes i do think that if like everyone loved the gray man then probably we'd be perceiving things a little differently but then mm-hmm. it's like the russos are also like one of the <laughs> marvel directors that you could least label as like auteurs and yeah it's, like, that's true it is also like Yeah, I think that part of that is also because since they have moved more to that model of being like, let's take the indie breakout and get them to do the next Marvel movie. Most of those people are still kind of too early on to have yet, like, really had the chance to do like the next thing where it's like, you know, like, I guess it would like Coogler is kind of the guy who is sort of in the in the right zone. But it's like what he was already was. Yeah. And what he chose to do was like another franchise. Well, he, but then, but Creed is before. Oh, is it? Yeah, because Creed is, like, 2015. So he was already, like, that guy. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Like, I think think the best example is Taika Waititi, where it's, like, Mm -hmm. you don't get to make Jojo Rabbit, I don't think, unless you've made Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. Uh, And then he has, like, his other project and stuff, so. But because it's, like, like the other people who you look at, it's, like. Chloe Zhao like hasn't had an opportunity to really do anything else yet. Like, um, yeah. uh, yeah, John Watt like hasn't really, I mean, I guess he could have, has he made anything else? John Watts that, yeah, that wasn't a Marvel movie. No. Cause he's kind of like still sort of like in the studio system of Marvel basically right now. And hasn't, well, he's doing the star Wars thing now right because he walked he, he quit fantastic four right right he quit <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 but then like because because yeah going back beyond that i'm like well who are the the other like one-off directors and it's like shane black like obviously like that's that's crazy that he directed a marvel movie like john favreau not a, a one-off and also completely different like well it's like the big one it's like scott derrickson scott right, derrickson is yeah. like you made Doctor Strange. You got kicked off of Doctor Strange 2. Yeah. And then you he make the black phone or yes, whatever. Which is really good. Is that, is that what that's called? Yes. i call the that black it's really phone. good. I want to see it. Uh, it might be a little scary. No, nah, it's it's very like Stephen King. Um, uh-huh. It is written by uh, Joe Hill. Stephen King's son, huh. I think. Yeah. Um, at any rate, this is all... <laughs> very, far afield. No, I far do, afield. I do think but. it is interesting, though, in the context of like... I mean, mean, maybe it's like Tilly Walden wrap up stuff more so, but I do think it is interesting in the context of her career and and at this point where it's like, yeah, I do think that this movie or that this comic (laughs) really should, in my opinion, like it is more so her like kind of opus at this point. And again, maybe I think this is maybe all amazing. uh, Read. Are you listening? And be like, actually, this is her opus. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe I'll read Clementine Book One and be like, this is her. Opus. <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah, I do. I do think that she is sort of emblematic at this point of someone where it's like, I think that the work that she is going to be remembered for is the wrong one, and but also, it's also like, like if, I th- if not the, not best not the thing, wrong one, yeah, per it's se, like but, if the best thing you made was spinning, then like that's great too. It is just. Yeah. I agree. I think I'm I'm interested in her potential to kind of like reach the next kind of level of the Pantheon in her career where she becomes not the spinning person, but like, Man, Tilly Walden, remember that run she had where it was like spinning on a sunbeam, like are you listening? Then she did that Clementine. walking <laughs> dead thing and then she <laughs> and then, right. I feel like we're preemptively trashing Clementine, which for all we know is great. Um, Maybe. But but yeah, like I I think it will be interesting to see if she can sort of like start to get more recognition for this other stuff which is still not real, like you know, and maybe I just hang around the wrong places where people just keep recommending the same things over and over again. Um, but I was but looking like, at I was looking at the reception on Wikipedia, and it's just like everyone's just like, yeah, this is good. Like that good did that did seem to be like the reception for On a Sunbeam, and mm-hmm. I guess it's just because it's less singular. Like, but it yeah know, maybe, think- and and I mean there is also like to segue absolutely seamlessly into the awards talk. There is also the whole, like, youngest Eisner ever. And then we go on to On a Sunbeam, which is nominated for, like, the best... Digital not, comic? It's not called best webcomic. Yeah. Best digital comic, which it does not win. And and other than that, like, it wins, like, an LA Times Book Prize, I think, um, in the, like, comic and graphic novel category. But that's pretty much it. Like, doesn't really get nominated for much else. And it also does seem like... It like in my head, I was like, obviously, it won best the best digital comic Eisner, and I was like preemptively kind of preparing my rant where it was like, this is not really the kind of thing that should that that the best digital comic Eisner should be for, and I still kind of think that where I'm like, I mean, I get why they nominated it, and I'm also kind of like, I wish this had just been nominated for like best you know best graphic album, which is really where I think it's more appropriate. Yeah, it's not the award is not like best comic published via the digital medium. Or shouldn't it necessarily (laughs) be. Yeah. Yeah, It's like Private Eye wins this. Yeah. But and even that, like even Private Eye is kind of different. I just wish they did have something that was more set up to recognize kind of like indie. And this is indie. This is this is the other like complex thing about it. But anyways, I have complicated feelings about that particular award. But anyways, I was like, but if it did get nominated, it feels like obviously it should have (laughs) won. But it didn't. (laughs) No, Bandette wins. Uh, Which is also like, I would put it in a similar. Yeah. I would put Bandette in sort of a similar camp where it is like being created by comics professionals who are published, um, who are, you know, they're, they're not indie in the same way as a lot of other web comics are. So it does make sense in a way that that is what takes, uh, takes the prize. But again, I'm sort of like, I wish those were just nominated in other categories yeah, <laughs> so that well, we the- could make some space for stuff that might never see print, basically. Right. Well, the original, the, the, not the original, the, the winner this year is Snow Angels, which is Jeff Lemire and Jock. And it's like yeah, a comicsology see, it, original. A, oh, I was gonna say a Substack, which I'm like, <laughs> that should be illegal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I fully understand what you're saying. And like, there's a Marvel comic in here. It's Jeff. Yeah, my name Jeff. Yeah, Jeff the Land Shark. Yeah, sure. It's like a meme comic. Sure. Yeah, that's not fair that's not fair but it is like <laughs> it is something that is like predicated on like look at this cute shirt with shark with legs that right. was introduced in another book and people were like that thing's adorable and Marvel was like what if he had his own comic yeah um, there is a funny stretch here where the winner of the Eisner Award for Best Digital Comic is Bandette the Oatmeal the Private <laughs> oh, yeah, Eye I forgot about Bandette that. Bandette <laughs> <laughs> i feel like we talked about the oatmeal winning previously but i mean truly one of the most epic bacon creations of our time truly so you know awards acknowledgement but i feel like probably could have been uh nominated for more could have won more sales wise it might shock you to learn not the world's like biggest seller right out the gate considering that it's given away for free but um you know, again, the profit was not the point in many senses. So I don't think that that was really a concern for her, but it does seem to be, yeah, like, I don't, I don't think that people are aware that like, this is like what, she, then she did this, which I feel like is how it should be sort of like talked about where it's like, Oh yeah. Tilly Walden, so young published, so young, so crazy. Youngest Eisner award winner ever. And then she immediately turned around and did this other awesome thing is how I sort of like feel like it should be talked about. And yeah. it just, it's not really how it's talked about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, to sort of circle all the way back to the point I started to make before we talked about Marvel movies for 30 minutes, but I think maybe we are more, and, you know, I guess this varies from creator to creator, but I feel like it's like, you know, it's the debut versus sophomore album. It's like the debut album is like, it's very messy, it's very personal, but very, like, emotionally powerful because it, like, has so much behind it. And then the next thing is like, more polished, a little more, like, outside of the comfort zone. But also, like, it is weirdly in her comfort zone also. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's just, like, more polished. It does a little more, like, there's more of, like, a sheen to it because I think it is just, like, more clearly, like, structurally put together. Yeah. But then it just, like, doesn't get as much attention for whatever reason. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think this is really, really good. I think... And also, maybe... That it's it's hard to be unless you're just like a person who likes comics to be like if you liked spinning, <laughs> like mm. <laughs> if like like I mean to use an example, it's like Bethany would she like on a sunbeam? Probably not, right? Well, yeah, it is also like a funny thing where it does, in some way like I think she would like on a sunbeam, but it's like how do you get the Bethanies of the world to read on a sunbeam? Even when you're saying like. Remember the person who did spinning? Like she also did this book, and like it's hard to sell. Of like, I know you don't like sci-fi, but it's okay. Like she doesn't like sci-fi either, and that's like the whole kind of like point of this book almost. Yeah, but then it's it's like, like, well, yeah, but like I still don't like sci-fi, so why would I want to read this? Yeah, yeah, I think it is kind of ironic just because like it. She wrote the comic for like the the person who doesn't like sci like the sci-fi comic. Or the person who doesn't like sci-fi, but then because it's sci-fi, it's probably only going to be read by people who already like sci-fi. Mm-hmm. I do also think that there are people whose distaste for sci-fi it's it's just for different reasons, where it's like the fantastical elements of it, which are still present in this are kind of what turns them off. Sure. And I don't think that Bethany is totally in that camp, but for example, uh and my wife, like I showed her the trailer for Dune. Mostly it was like funny because I was like, it's hilarious to me how much you're going to not like this. And she was like, sort of interested in the trailer, but then she was like, why are their eyes blue? And I started to explain. And then she's <laughs> like, the okay, word okay, no. Quesats, <laughs> I was like, well, you see the melange. And. <laughs> But like she instantly checked out and I was like, why? Like, what is it about that? That makes you like completely disinterested from this thing that initially you were kind of like into. And she was basically just like, it's just like too weird. And I think there are people out there where it's like, it doesn't matter whether it's like a star destroyer or like a fish that like swims through space. It's still like something is traveling through space. And that's just kind of like too weird to be interesting to them. Sure. Sure. I think we will have to leave it there. Unfortunately, yeah. I was going to say you're getting you're getting a little close to your heart out here. Yes, um, but I think it's fair to say we both very much enjoyed this. I don't yeah, definitely. know anything about uh, what you call it. Are you listening? Are um, you listening? Yeah, I don't we either, except the blurb on her website, which uh yeah, also button. also sounds crazy. Uh, so I'm very excited to get to that one, especially like getting to this one where it's like. This wasn't really what I was expecting. I was surprised when I found out it was a sci-fi story and I really enjoyed it, so I'm interested to see where it goes from here. Um, But that will have to wait until next week. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Again, I should have done it at the top like I meant to. Um, But we'll get to that next week, maybe. If I remember. Um, (laughs) If I remember. (laughs) I, 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 I remember. That's from the Demi at Juve ready player one rap. So we'll be cutting all of this because <laughs> we do want you to tell friends to listen. And I know if you just sat through the past 20 seconds that I just <laughs> judiciously removed, you would not be inclined to do so. But please do share an episode that you enjoyed. Tell a friend. Uh, the lucky 10 could be the lucky 15 before we know it if, uh, if we're not careful. And frankly, we'd love to see the lucky 30. So spread the word true i would love for to use the uh, arrest development there are dozens of us gif rate review subscribe at got the runs pod on twitter got the runs pod at gmail.com listen to high flow low ceiling which is on hiatus right now but uh listen, listen to, to hiatus low cetus. <laughs> hiatus <laughs> yeah let sounds dirty um <laughs> listen to bevy of bevies a great episode uh out last week on lemonade uh you should look forward to in a few weeks from now david is holding up a certain bevy to the camera uh which i I think we'll be covering next season uh i'll await my invite (laughs) no guess no guess that's the rule um but yes listen to that and of course next week is are you listening and is is the clementine book out yet it is out. Volume two is not out yet. Okay, so but, so we are. So it's not gonna gonna coming out early episode. next year. Okay, so it won't be the last episode next week, but it'll be a good one. So tune in for that. But until next time, to, to be, be continued. continued. There's more that can see. Yeah, there's a.